All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to innovative founders about their companies, the futures that they're building, and how the two collide. Today, we are talking to Landon Brand, who is a co-founder of Ren. Landon, welcome so much to the show. How is it going? It's going well, well, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I'm very excited to talk to you. I think you're working on something extremely interesting. Um, and you know, with that, let's just get right into it. Tell me a little bit about Ren. Yeah, so Ren is a monthly subscription to offset your carbon footprint. So at the simplest level, the product today, you go to our website, you answer a few questions to calculate your carbon footprint. So stuff like how much do you drive? How much do you fly? What's your, are you eating a lot of red meat or what's your diet like? And then you choose a project that's planting trees or protecting rainforest or otherwise is sequestering the carbon that your lifestyle produces. And you fund it usually for around like $20 a month, something like that. And then you're, you're effectively living carbon neutral. So that's where we're starting today. Really, we're just trying to figure out how can we reverse climate change? And we think that there's a, enough people who care here that we can start basically crowdfunding reversing climate change. This is fascinating. I'd love to know where did the idea stem from? Uh, yeah, like how'd you come up with the idea? Yeah, so the whole company is really just myself and my two co-founders right now. And we, we met in college and we started saying like, hey, we should probably do something about climate change. Like if we're gonna spend our lives working on difficult problems that are interesting to us, like climate change is one that we really wanna tackle now. Like we have maybe a decade to really start figuring this out. And so we just started coming up with ideas for what we can do. And the first thing we thought of was, well, hey, if everyone goes vegan, that's a lower carbon footprint. That seems really good. Like let's just make a bunch of vegan food. And so that's what we did for a couple of weeks. We were just in my apartment. We made a bunch of vegan food, had this idea for like a vegan delivery only restaurant. And we were excited about it. The food started tasting pretty good, but we gradually realized like, even if we knock this thing out of the park, even if we get everyone in the country to go vegan, we're still pretty far from reversing climate change. Like this is one tiny part of like a, hundred step solution and we were looking around doing a bunch of research on climate change and we're like it seems like governments are not taking the action that they need to like it just seems like we don't really have a roadmap to reversing climate change and that made us really worried like we're talking about climate change which some people have their theories that like it's going to literally make humans go extinct and maybe it won't do anything that severe but it, it seems like it's the the biggest problem that we're facing right now and no one has the plan for how we're going to fix it so then we we started looking around more and we saw different solutions there's actually a, a website called drawdown uh, drawdown.org is the the website they have a book too it's really good that's basically lists out 100 solutions to reversing climate change. So stuff like planting trees, stuff like how much we could electrify the grid, how we could make buildings more efficient by using better insulation. Lots of interesting ideas that all add up to pulling down or preventing all of human generated greenhouse gas. 
So we saw this list of like 100 solutions and just realized that the problem is no longer in the world of science and figuring out how to make a better solar panel or something like that. Like now we just actually have to go and do all of these things. And we realized that the biggest reason that we weren't doing more of it is because these projects don't have enough funding. So we just said, all right, maybe we can start crowdfunding it. And then we did, we launched our website just in June of this year. And since then, just a bunch of people have been signing up, sharing it with their friends. And it's starting to create a, a meaningful impact in funding projects that like plant trees, protect rainforest, use more efficient cooking stoves, et cetera. So walk me through as a, as a potential user, let's say I'm interested in offsetting my carbon footprint. So I, I sign up, uh, I sign up on your website and then can you walk me through how I would become a user to, to eventually offset my carbon footprint? Yeah, totally. So first step is you answer a few questions about your lifestyle that help us give it, understand what your carbon footprint is probably like. So simple stuff from like, how often do you fly all the way to more complex? If you want to answer like what, how many kilowatt hours of electricity you use and like what percentage of that is renewable, then you totally can too. And once you're done calculating your carbon footprint, you then look at our, the projects that we offer that are actually the solutions pulling down CO2 or preventing emissions. You choose one of these projects. So let's say you choose the project called Community Tree Planting. Um, it provides funding for subsistence farmers in East Africa to plant trees on their land. Then you finish creating your account. We give you a bunch of tips for how you can reduce your carbon footprint. And then we send you monthly updates on how the project you're supporting is going. We try and give you as much detail into the project as possible. So stuff like what are the GPS coordinates where your trees are being planted? Like we get you photos every 18 months of the trees as they're growing, measurements of the tree trunk diameters, et cetera, to make it feel really real. And so you understand exactly what's happening. It's such a, it's a very innovative idea and seeming it, 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 it makes a lot of sense in that it is somewhat crowdfunding. You know, if I wanted to offset my own carbon footprint, I would go through this process and it wouldn't be, I wouldn't have to fundraise, you know, millions of dollars from other people. It would just be, Oh, I'll take care of my own, uh, kind of my, my own, my own challenge with the environment. So I think that that's fascinating. So I'm curious out of uh, out of that list, you mentioned that list of of a hundred different things that 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 someone can do to offset their their carbon footprint. What are some of the not as obvious things that someone could do? Maybe they could already be listed on their on your platform, but but I think there's the obvious few. But out of, out of the box, I'd love to know what are other things that people can do to offset their carbon footprint. Um, just you know through education. Yeah, there's really a lot of interesting ones. So. The list on Drawdown includes a few that are, I think, really surprising. So one that caught me totally off guard was the potential impact of electric scooters. So basically, if we think of electric scooters as a way to replace some amount of cars that are typically burn fossil fuels or reduce the amount of energy needed to move someone, basically, um, that can actually have a huge impact. That adds up when you're thinking about millions of electric scooters. Another one that's kind of interesting 
interesting is, or maybe funny is like, if you take a lot of cow poop or a lot of this like manure from other ruminant animals that are eating a lot of grass, they have a complicated digestive process and their manure is off-gassing methane over time. So methane is a super potent greenhouse gas. It's like roughly 40 times more potent than CO2. So it's a big problem when a lot of it gets into the atmosphere. And that's why a lot of people say like, don't eat red meat. Cows are responsible for a ton of methane. But if you, if you put that manure in what's called like a methane gas digester, it can prevent that methane from escaping. And then you can use that methane as natural gas. So like, we use natural gas on our stoves all the time here, and we can use that methane that's coming from literally like manure to, to power something. So that, that prevents the emissions that would have come from the methane. Because when you burn off that methane, instead of being methane that's super powerful greenhouse gas, it becomes normal CO2, which is still bad, but it's way less bad than if that methane had just gone to the atmosphere. So that's one that I think is fascinating, super creative, like as a way of literally turning complete waste into something that's valuable and can keep the lights on in our homes. Yeah, that's fascinating indeed. Thanks for, thanks for sharing those two examples. I'm curious to know, Ren seems like the type of, of company and the type of product that will spread through word of mouth rapidly because it's just one of those ideas and it's one of those problems that every, it affects everyone and most people are trying to solve it in some capacity. How have you grown so far and uh, how, how, how are you thinking of uniting almost everyone that wants to, <laughs> that wants to solve this problem through red? I feel like you have a lot of uh, possibility there. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see it grow. So we launched in June. We, there was like a couple articles written about Ren in the early days. And from that, and basically like posting on Twitter and Hacker News, that sort of stuff, we got a small core, maybe like a hundred people offsetting their carbon footprint on Ren. And since then, it's totally just been organic growth. So a lot of it's word of mouth, like people literally probably telling each other in person about Ren. A lot of it's like people randomly sharing on Twitter, people randomly blogging about it, adding it to their newsletter. It's just like saying like, hey, look at this interesting idea that someone's working on now. Um, or maybe this is a really easy thing that you can do to take action on climate change. And so that's been the growth so far. That's gotten to us, gotten us to about 900 subscribers offsetting their carbon footprint right now. I think that basically suggests, and this is maybe backed up by common intuition, that people want to tell their friends that like, hey, I'm doing something to reverse climate change and so can you. And maybe if this gets big enough, we can divert enough funding toward reversing climate change that we can greatly accelerate the time frame for reversing climate change, which of course is preventing all, all these negative feedback loops around like a lot of ice melting and a lot of damage being done due to extreme weather events or eventually sea levels rising, etc. So I think doubling down on this natural behavior of people wanting to share Ren and wanting to tell others like there's a way to reverse climate change, I think that's going to be a big focus for us. I think we can create a lot of content that shows people everything they can do in their life to reverse climate change. So Maybe it's not Ren. Maybe it's like figuring out how someone can reduce their carbon footprint in the first place. 
Um, we're working on a guide for that right now. Should be out actually next week or so. Maybe by the time this podcast is up, it'll be there. And also just like what they can do that's maybe supporting clean energy themselves or purchasing clean energy, um, making that really easy for anyone to learn about and figure out what an individual can do to take action on climate change. Do you know at what point you start to reverse climate change? Like, how do you think about that? Is there a KPI, you know, that like once you hit a certain amount of subscribers, you, you've accomplished the goal or how, um, what's your framework to, think, to thinking about that? Well, if the KPI was number of subscribers, I think we'd be looking at roughly 8 billion. Like it's basically everyone has a carbon footprint. We have to think about reversing all of it. Um, the thing with reversing climate change, it's such a huge problem that it's just really clear that there's going to have to be a ton of players working on it, a ton of funding diverted to it. So I think the real beauty of REN is it's about doing something today. I think the longer term solution will probably have to include like a, a carbon tax or some sort of limit to emissions imposed by governments. I think REN is a way of accomplishing that same effect, almost like a voluntary carbon tax that we can do today instead of trying to push for legislation and having it to be like a decade before we actually take the action necessary. Um, the other thing when you're thinking about reversing climate change is that every incremental action is helpful. So we have like a certain carbon budget that the, IPCC has pointed out, like if we surpass this carbon budget, the amount of tons of CO2 entering the atmosphere, um, then we'll probably warm the world too much and like the, the really crazy feedback cycles will start to happen. So it's like, okay, the ice caps will start melting and all the methane in them will get released into the air and then they'll just start melting faster and like the cycle just accelerates. And it's about 1.5 degrees where if we pass that tipping point, it's going to get way more difficult to reverse climate change and get us back to like a, a stable climate. So when we think about reversing climate change, it's like figuring out how to stay within that 1.5 degree carbon budget. And literally everyone on earth is responsible for some amount of emissions right now. So every incremental step we can take is useful. That, that's kind of how I think about it personally. You're very knowledgeable about um, climate change and uh, the, what, it need, what needs to happen to off offset the carbon footprint of an individual. I'm curious, did you learn all of this just in the last four or five months that you've been working on REN? Or is this a topic that you have been thinking a lot about you know, for, for maybe the last decade? Like, Where'd you get this knowledge from? Yeah, it's funny you say that. Honestly, I feel like I know so little compared to how, how much there is to know. I think the, the craziest part is with climate, like it's a, such a complicated system that even the best scientists can't predict it perfectly. So it's like this constant imperfection that we have in modeling what climate change looks like that makes it maybe really difficult to reason about. But anyway, to answer your question more directly, um, most of this I've learned in the past six months or so. So 
I always, I mean, they tell you in, in schools or at least the schools that I went to about climate change and they're like, oh, like there's this greenhouse effect. And as we burn more fossil fuels, the earth is going to get warmer and warmer. And so I always understood that, but I didn't understand the fundamentals very well. And so earlier this spring, I was like, all right, everyone's talking about climate change. I got to figure out what's up. Like, how bad is it going to be? Why is it really happening? Um, what can we do about it? And so I watched a Coursera course all about the, the science underlying it. And that was just super enlightening because I realized that the scary thing isn't that there's like a linear relationship between fossil fuel emissions and the amount of warming. The scary thing is that like, we don't know what that relationship looks like. Like if there's all these weird tipping points and non-linearities and like some parts that are exponential that that could cause all sorts of problems for us. Um, so it's been a really recent on-ramp. That, 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 that's what woke me up to realize like, this is actually really happening and it could be really, really bad for humanity and we gotta do something about it. So then I, since then I've just spent a ton of time like reading books like Drawdown, the one I mentioned earlier that has all those solutions or reading some of the more interesting research papers in this space. And it's, it can seem a little bit intimidating, but actually a lot of it is interesting enough where it's not too difficult to read. So I'd encourage anyone out there, if you're interested, take a look at the science. It's like less hairy than you might think it is. It's fascinating how much you can learn in a short period of time, you know, especially when something is so important. And I think anyone listening should take note of that in that I, I would put myself in the category of knowing that there's a problem, but not necessarily knowing exactly enough to maybe educate someone on it or, or, or fix the problem. And what you're doing with Ren is you're almost making the the problem and making the solution a little, like easy to talk about. It's an excuse to say, oh, I'm off setting my carbon footprint. Let me tell you how I'm doing it. And it, it will, I, th I think it's just this such a fun and simple and impactful way to spread the message and spread the word. And mo more importantly, I think, uh, changing people's mindset of showing that they can do something about it. Like we're not helpless, you know? So I think that's very empowering um, in, in what you're building. Exactly, that's exactly how we feel too. When we talk about climate change, like it's so often like doom and gloom and like, oh, how screwed are we? But there's also this other side that's like the beautiful world that we could live in once we figured all this out and really devoted the necessary effort to to solving it like a lot of these things are exciting like renewable energy will be great not just because it's not burning fossil fuels but also because it'll dramatically lower energy prices if it if research continues the way it is now so it's it's really like a beautiful end destination it's just a question of how we get there Absolutely. I, I have one additional question within this realm and I have a couple outside uh, outside of this scope, but I know that you uh, just came out of the recent batch of Y Combinator where you have a hundred companies, hundred plus companies that are working on their own thing. And I, I'm kind of interested to know, is there a element of what you're doing um, where there are companies that think what Ren is doing is so powerful that they're adopting it for their whole company? Um, is there, is that a, an avenue that you're using or do you see that organically in your batch? Yeah, actually. So when we started working on Ren, we were like, all right, 
there are carbon offsetting companies that are doing a pretty good job for commercial like businesses wanting to do something about their carbon footprint. The challenge is if you're just a regular person and you want to do something about climate change, like it, it can be tough beyond like making a few obvious lifestyle changes. But as we launched the product products, we started to see companies reaching out saying like, Hey, I want to do something about my employees carbon footprint. Like maybe we're a distributed company or maybe there's some other reason that we really think that it makes sense to offset our employees carbon emissions. Um, so we, a few started reaching out and we decided to just work with them sort of nothing too fancy. It can be pretty low fidelity for now. Um, but we recently launched Ren for companies and it's by no means a finished product and fully polished or anything like that. But we, we have seen some companies really take an interest, um, which is exciting to me because I think it's something that a lot of the employees at these companies can be proud of. It's like my company cares enough about taking action on climate change that they're actually going to offset my personal as an employee carbon footprint. I can see that too. Uh, yeah, that, that's awesome. So I want to go outside of the scope of climate change and, and Ren in particular and ask kind of a curious question. Uh, you know, you are a founder of, of a startup in 2019 that there are a lot of things to focus on in the world, a lot of trends that are, that are happening and changing. I'm interested to know, is there anything happening in the world outside of carbon change, um, uh, sorry, climate change that, uh, that you uh, are interested in or piqued peak your interest um, or something that you're paying attention to? Absolutely. Um, I, one thing that comes to mind that's maybe related is like the role of companies in society and just generally thinking about capitalism and like how in some ways, capitalism got us into the mess of climate change, but also maybe by implementing a proper carbon tax or some other similar system, capitalism could also help us get out of the mess of climate change. So it's like trying to understand a little bit about why capitalism has done pretty well and also what are like these these large flaws like on failing to price negative externalities or on creating this crazy like inequality challenge or different levels of risks that are acceptable depending on your your income um it's an interesting system and it, and it underlies like basically everything that america has become in a way so it, it seems like personally to me it seems like something that I should really try to understand in order to maybe think about some solutions that could help shape it to be a little bit better for more people. So that's one thing that's been on my mind. That's a topic that I, I actually read a lot about. I I'm interested in economics and the like, kind of the, what's happening with the political divide and the income inequality, all that stuff fascinates me. And um, I think the uh, I'm intrigued to see what happens as um, kind of the automation topic and automation challenge of, of the country kind of becomes more prevalent and like maybe more jobs are being automated away. I'm really intrigued to 
hear about some of the solutions that maybe politicians or large business owners propose, whether it be like basic income or a whole new slew of jobs that we can't even imagine what it looks like yet. Um, and, and anything along those lines, but I, I agree. That's a very interesting kind of interesting topic. Yeah. The idea of universal basic income is, is really interesting to me. So to me, it seems like what that one does is basically lets anyone take risks. And I think, at least for me, I feel super fortunate to have had the ability to take some risks like starting Ren, like was able to focus more on this company than maybe the, the classes I was taking because I knew worst case scenario, um, at least like I knew something about coding and could probably like freelance or something after school. And I was, I was in a pretty stable place going through school, um, basically thanks to my parents. And so I think basic income has the potential to make most people's risk profile look a lot more like that to where they could start their own thing or join something kind of risky or do something a little bit less guaranteed and not have to worry about the really bad downside risk of like, how am I not going to be homeless if this doesn't work out? That's very interesting to hear because there is a tweet that I read at some point in the last maybe couple of months that alluded to the fact that venture capitalists aren't necessarily that much smarter than other people. They just are able to, they've taken more risk, which has given them more options throughout their life. And like, if you're able to take risk early, it might open up more things later. And if you're not able to take risks, then it maybe shuts off some opportunities that would have been opened up anyways. So I, I agree with you. And uh, one other thing I'll add on to what you said is I think basic income would allow for the rise of entrepreneurship and, uh, and allow for people that always wondered what if, but can't because of student loans or what if, but can't because of X, Y, and Z. Um, to give it a shot and, and either succeed or, or fail, but know, but, but know that they try to know where they can, you know, achieve in the future or, or not. So I think basic income is, is super interesting. Yeah. That notion you mentioned of risk or, uh, of, I guess, risk profile compounding over time. Like if you could take these early risks, how much of a difference does it totally make in your life? Cause it seems like it's huge and it, it also seems like it's probably intergenerational, like yep. over, over the generations and generations. If you're, if you manage to amass enough wealth to really like make it easy for your kids um, or give them the ability to take huge risks, then they can, they can really multiply that. It's just like, I guess a, similar to just how an investment compounds over time. Um, the ability right. to take risk also compounds over time. I wonder if there's some, some fundamental, like almost mathematical type law that you could write to write about that. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I know that, that I, when I graduated college, I decided to start a company on two credit cards instead of doing what all my friends did, you know, did and, and get, get a job. And that obviously had trade-offs. Um, but here I am, you know, my, my network is, is, is great. You know, I, I've had some ex extremely valuable experience over the last couple of years. And I wouldn't have been able to get any of that if I wouldn't have decided to take the massive risk of starting the company on two credit cards. Um, but at the same time is 
the upside that comes from a risk worth the downside. I feel like your idea of like a mathematical equation to solve that um, probably exists somewhere. I'd be interested to see that if it does. <laughs> you know, I wonder if there's something about age here too. Like I'd imagine it's easier to take that level of risk. Like, first of all, a crazy amount of risk like that. That was super brave. Um, but also it's easier to take that risk if you're younger, I think, because then if things don't work out, you probably still have time to get, to get things back on track and you don't really have too many responsibilities um, yep. when you're really young. Like if you have kids, it, it seems crazy to take, to start a business on credit cards. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe that makes me think that less people should shoot for a stable job coming out of school and maybe um, unless that's the, what they want to do. But if they're, if there's a great time to take risks, it seems like right out of school. Maybe I'm biased because that's what we're doing, but it seems to me like that's a good idea. Well, when I see these articles about the bet, like the, the most successful startup founders are are much older, let's say like 40 or 50 or, or 60, I see a lot of articles like that. I just they, they always miss the 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 point of what you just said in that, yeah, but when you're 40, 50, or 60, uh, you you have more responsibilities and maybe you're not able to take 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 the uh, right amount of risk to see success whereas when you're like 23 or 25 you might not know a third or a fourth or all of what someone of that age knows but you're able to make the mistakes and and find out because your age so i i, I actually if yeah. maybe if, so, if someone's listening and they're they're interested in creating some sort of formula to figure this out please let me know because i actually am it's very intriguing now that we're now that we're talking about it <laughs> Yeah, it's because like the risk taking compounds, but also the learning that you do super early on compounds. I think Sam Altman has some blog post that's to that effect. It's like, if you're working harder when you're younger, your learning is compounding, it creates a ton of optionality for the future. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, it's actually very relevant because I, I'm actually at this place right now where I'm deciding where, where I want to spend the next portion of my career. And uh, I have a good amount of options, but I'm definitely opting in for the option of, of still not necessarily, you know, normal nine to five, get paid well, just because I do feel like, you know, putting more time into this podcast and into freelancing and to, to a startup, just you, it just compounds more than trading time for money. Um, it's, it, maybe, it might be interesting to like do a, a, separate, a separate episode just talking about this topic because it is fascinating. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about this a lot sometimes. It's it's a deep one. Do you actually? I want to I want to go down the rabbit hole just just a little bit more. Please, do, yeah, let's do it. Do you think that at, at what do you have a theory on at what age or what level of commitment that you have in your life, whether it be kids, girlfriend, wife, um, or husband, anything like that? Um, at what point? It, are you, are you able to mathematically say, oh, like I'm to the point where I can't take X amount of risk, but three years earlier I could have? Like, is that kind of the math equation you were referring to? And do you know of any model out there that helps someone uh, think through what decisions they should make based on where they are in their life? That's interesting. I think even, so even if you, I guess there's a tricky thing about risk. Like, in some ways, you could say that, let's say the founders of Airbnb were taking a tremendous risk, 
But in another way, they had like so much conviction that it was going to work, which is in a way why it did work, that it, it almost seems like they were taking no risk at all, if you're just depending on what your perspective is. I think most people who are kind of rational and objective or even irrational, but like sort of understand how society works, like it seems like they're taking these crazy risks. But I think if you have enough conviction in something, then maybe to you, it's not so big of a risk. I think there's also the question of like how badly you want to do something. Um, so if it, if it just feels like it's your destiny to take a huge risk or what seems like a huge risk, I think you should absolutely go for it rather than worry about just the downside. Um, so I feel like it it's, depends on someone's mindset maybe more so than like the objective circumstances. Do you think that risk, I mean, risk changes throughout generations. Like, like go right now, I would argue that going, spending four years at a university um, is it could potentially be more risky than spending those four years in the workforce. Like, like, do you, what are some other examples of of risks that might have been risky to to our parents? But if we took those, if we did the same thing that they did, then it's actually the, the it's risky in the opposite direction. That's really interesting. I think that university's example is super good because you you pay to go to the university. Um, at least most of the time. So, and you're not even getting the like the thing with the universities is that it, you're you're paying a, a lot. A lot of the times you, you take out loans, but but oftentimes you're not getting that value back, and you, sometimes you're never able to 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 recoup the loans. You're never able to pay it off because the value that the university is providing isn't there. So, I I actually urge a lot of people. Um, depending on how entrepreneurial they are to like try not going to college. And if you decide that that's not the good path, you can always try again. But like, I just think don't going down to college when you're an entrepreneurial type of person, is like, is a giant risk versus just going into the wild and, and trying to make it happen. Yeah. Let's maybe let's explore sort of the meta for, for why that is. So to me, it seems like the change took place making universities riskier because information became way more accessible. Like, through the internet, through like all these people posting really helpful blog posts, publishing books online. There's like Coursera type stuff that you can maybe learn most of the same information. Um, so I wonder if the, the places where we'd see that same sort of risk profile shift over time would happen at like the forefront of anywhere that information was once the bottleneck. Because now, now it's more like, the information is no longer the bottleneck and also it's more like there's a fixed amount of attention that we that companies compete for rather than instead like the fact of having anything being being useful at all does, it, does that make any sense where I'm, where I'm heading with that i don't have a concrete yeah. thought yet just it just makes sense on. i mean it, it makes sense I, I just think the internet like where like for the longest time humans didn't have a, something like the internet and which means they hadn't had democratization of, of knowledge and, and education. But now that we have had that only in the last two decades, that might be like, it might be almost easier to take more risks because we have more knowledge and knowledge is power. Um, that's kind of what I'm hearing from, from what you're saying. That's super interesting. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's almost like having that knowledge just totally de-risks it. Um, right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, 
yeah. Whereas once you had no idea like what a what it looks like to start a startup, for instance. Like now, I mean, Y Combinator has like their whole startup school thing. Like they, it's so available these days. It's actually interesting you mentioned that. I have one more thing, and then I uh, uh, want to bring it back with a couple more questions, and then we can wrap it up. But um, the what you just said is is interesting because on the last podcast episode I was recording, we were talking about how easy it is to start a company now because of all these resources. But at the same time, if it's easy to start a company, it's becoming much harder to scale a company and get the attention because so many people are competing for it. So I just think the supply and demand of these types of things are uh, are interesting. It just goes back to economics. <laughs> That's totally true. Like I think one example in the e-commerce or like subscription service space is that the CAC for the cost of acquiring a customer has historically gone up on like Facebook, Instagram, like these social channels as there's more like direct to consumer e-commerce brands that are all competing for the same like target audience of usually people with the money to spend to buy a lot of stuff. Um, So it, like you said, like it's, in some ways way more difficult to start that sort of company now, even if the fundamentals of like actually becoming a company, actually like, you know, setting your bank account, actually like building a product, everything like that is much easier now. It's, it's so competitive depending on your space. So if you can find a new space and sort of target like this blue ocean, like, yeah, now's a really good time to be there. Agreed. Agreed. Cause CAC will be low the need will be high and you just run as fast as you can before other people find the space. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, sweet. Well, this was an, an awesome kind of a side jam. I love talking about this stuff. And I, I think with so many things changing with the future of work and the internet and democratization of democratization of, inter, uh, of education and whatnot, all this stuff is kind of on the table and I love jamming about it. So kind of bring it back um, I have one final question for you before we wrap it up. You know, you you are starting a company that is trying to solve one of the hardest problems and the biggest problems there is to solve. Um, and it's a, I think the solution is pretty awesome. I'd love to hear if, if someone's listening that wants to start their own company that wants to solve a big problem like you are, what advice would you have for them to get started? I think the craziest thing to realize is just that everyone who you think of as like super famous, super effective, like super smart, like the Albert Einstein's, the Steve Jobs of the world, like they're just regular people too. And maybe you're really just like them in more ways than you would realize. Um, I think if everyone realized that they personally have the power to change the world, the world would be a much better place. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is you can totally do it and more people should be building the world that they want to live in. All right, you all heard it here first from Landon. I love that answer and I think it's 100% correct. Thank you so much uh, for for coming on to Forward Thinking Founders Podcast. I, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.